Well, I mean, obviously the Earth is flat. We can all agree on that. Have your say on the topics that matter to you. Jump onto gisdirectionspodcast.com.au and share your ideas. Welcome to GIS Directions Podcast. I'm Tartanika. And I'm Wayne Archer. And today we're back for part two with the master of mapping with style, John Nelson. Now as a recap, John wears many hats, creator of popular Firefly style, published author and part of the content team at Esri and all round good guy. Thanks for joining us again, John. Oh my goodness. Thank you. All around good guy. I'm going to have that put on my business cards. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it a is. pleasure to be back, and it was a pleasure to be invited in the first place, and the fact that I didn't blow it so badly so as not to be invited uh, to the second one is, is a real honor. Careful now, <laughs> you'll become a regular. Now, today John is going to share with us some of the contemporary rules of cartography. But of course, to understand where we're currently and where to next, John thinks it's important to reflect on where we've come from. Now, John, what are some of the rules of mapping from those original cartographers which you think are still relevant to contemporary GIS professionals today? Yeah, well, there's so much that we can learn from things that were done a long time ago using tools that we don't have now except we can see what they've made and be inspired by them and then apply them in our domain. Mm. Absolutely. Now, um, I guess, what are some of your favorites when you look back on history and some of the masters in mapping, which you're definitely one of? uh, What are some of your favorites and who are those cartographers that really paved the way? Lately, what I've been doing is looking at the work of masters of the last century. So people, Mm. mid-century masters from Mm -hmm. the 1900s, like... Edward Imhoff, who's a Swiss cartographer who yeah. just had oh, this absolutely. amazing impressionistic sense of working with light and shadow and hue to create a really beautiful and rich texture of the surface of the earth. Just a master, mm. just inspiring. Erwin mm. Race is another one. So it, he, his, his palette would be slightly different in that some of his real signature content is created with just a black pen, black ink on white paper. And he layers in so much amazing detail and hand-drawn landform charm that uh, it's just so hard to create in the digital environment. So we work in a digital world. You know, we've got data and we've got these tools and we can do so much. But then there's a little bit of a challenge in stepping back and seeing what we've made. Is it charming is it very simple and communicate uh, a point in a in a fun and intriguing way and what i like to do is look at those maps and and see what's charming and what's intriguing about that and try to let myself be influenced by it but specifically what i try to do is copy it i want to copy it that's mm-hmm. okay um because i want to be able to share that technique with others if i figure out a technique that sort of works and so the question was What are some of my favorite maps? And these days it would be the landscape topography maps that were hand-drawn by Erwin Race and uh, some of the the hand-painted topographic maps that were done by Edward Imhoff. Just goes to show that um, the the masters of of cartography stand the test of time. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. And, And there's so much to learn from them. Oftentimes... You know, I get this weird kind of feeling in my stomach when I see just this beautiful piece of art and in data visualization that was made in 1850. Yeah. Right. I mean, 
the 1800s were this amazing time of data visualization and just boldness and exploring new techniques. And those were people who had such um, limited access to fresh data and new data. And also their publishing techniques, of course, were so rigid and rather slow that if you were making something, you were probably, you had become very familiar with it. And there's a little bit of care and quality that's inherent in that sort of environment. And so I, I look at it and I think, oh my goodness, how could I ever do something like that? And then I take a step back and think, but look at the tools that are available to me. You know, I've got more than a compass and a line level and some parchment and ink. I've got all these tools that are available to me. I can still <laughs> make use of the aesthetic of their work and the creativity of their work and then challenge myself to apply that given the, I mean, just amazing foundation of technology that we have now that they didn't have. I mean, I don't know how they did it back then. I don't have the patience to do things like the stippling that we see on some of those maps, mm. sitting there putting little tiny dots on, on the map. I wait till the style file comes out on adventures in mapping. Now, you brought up a really good point beforehand about, um, you know, a lot of these masters of mapping, and we definitely include you amongst uh, the new age of those. I did have one question, and Wayne and I have been having uh, a debate, I would say. Um, so talking about these hand-drawn maps, um, how we look at those maps, especially when we're looking at technology, is, you know, how are we projecting that that information, that data? Now, something we've talked about is um, how can we then describe or show the value of projection in mapping uh, to show the world as it is or how it could be. So you'd be familiar with projections such as, you know, the heart-shaped or um, uh, cubic or anything else. Now, we've had a discussion about flat earth. Could you give us your take? And Wayne is looking at me here thinking, how could she bring this up here? This was a private discussion. I warned John. I said she's going to talk about flat earth. Well, people want to know. The users want to know. And I'm a user. I count. So what is your take, John, I guess, um, on on anyone who talks about flat earth? Are there any, I guess, um, map themes or styles that we could use to project just just to see what it would look like? And then how do we debunk that whole theory? This is uh, something that keeps me up at night. Well, I mean, obviously, the earth is flat. We can all agree on that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I won. Oh, dear. (laughs) No, it's not something I think about a lot. But in a general sense, I do think about projections a Mm -hmm. whole lot. And then whatever people do with that, um, with those possibilities, I mean, that's up to them. And that's that's where things do get pretty interesting. But, um, yeah, I think about projections a lot. And I'll advocate for the appropriate use of projections. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody likes to pick on Web Mercator, and that's fine. Web Mercator is very good at doing certain things, like um, endlessly tiling in increased levels of resolution in a nice compact square way, because computers love squares and mm-hmm. rectangles because mm-hmm. it's easy. And our screens are square, and it all just fits nicely. But uh, equal area projections are so important for thematic mapping. And of course, Web Mercator is not uh, an equal area projection. Yeah. And so what I've been doing lately is really creating equal area maps in ArcGIS Pro and then publishing them as a vector base map to ArcGIS Online so that people can mm-hmm. start a project in ArcGIS Online that has an equal area base map. It's not in Mercator. They can even pull in existing layers from the Living Atlas or their own data and map it in an equal area projection in ArcGIS Online, which I think is 
wow. cool opportunity to do to do right by a phenomenon. You know, you're always lying a little bit with maps, but if you can control some of the, the outright lying, you know, control <laughs> the things that you can, and that's equal area. So, and I also just think the equal Earth projection is beautiful. Yeah. So it was it was worked on, you know, recently, and it's a relatively new projection, and I think folks should check that out. It, it, it's it's a beautiful picture of the Earth where everything is pretty much going to be true to scale, true to size. Mm -hmm. and people can be surprised by what they're saying because they're so used to seeing Web Mercator. See, we've, we've talked Another... a lot about truth-telling in maps, yeah. and I think this is one of the important uh, you know, keys is that uh, what we see all the time, that Web Mercator projection, yeah. uh, is, is a bit of a liar. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is, and it's it's handy for a lot of things, but it it sure lies to us when it comes to area. I'll tell you that. Mm -hmm. uh, another projection that I really like is one that I've been kind of pulled into to help present to the public, which is the Spillhouse project. Have you heard of the Spillhouse projection yet? I, I saw um, your uh, your post on Adventures in Blogger yeah. in, in mapping <laughs> just just this yeah. week, actually on yeah. Spillhouse. Yeah, um, it's a beautiful picture of the Earth where the oceans are the focus of this projection. And somebody's thinking, you know, projections having a focus on a theme. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> really what we do when we squish the earth into a flat thing is we find really convenient places to cut the earth and stretch it out, and that's the oceans, so that we can make the land look, you know, as, as good as we can. But what the Spielhaus projection does, or Spielhaus map does, is says, all of the oceans in the world really are one giant body of water. And yeah. it's true. If you look at a globe and you spin it around, um, the United States and Australia are neighbors. We're just separated by the vastness by of the Pacific of Ocean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you wouldn't see that in a typical map projection because it's a convenient place to, to cut the edge of the map. And we're on the other side of, of the world from from Australia, but it really we're just neighbors around a single shared pond and, mm -hmm. and the world's oceans are that pond. And it does a great job of showing you that. Uh, it, was, it was created by a, a, a polymath, just this really remarkable person in the, in the mid half of the 20th century. I think it could become very useful for, um, for you know, climate science and you know, we're talking about you know, global warming, oceans rising, oceans uh, getting warmer. Uh, a map that is based around oceans and, and tries to unify that is, is sure to become popular in, in those kind of arenas. Absolutely. Yeah, and I've been playing with oceanic data in it, and it is fun. It is yeah. fun. It's a lot of fun. And, and uh, I just love sharing the results and, and seeing what people say. But most importantly, I like the fact that it's available for everybody else to use now. So starting in ArcGIS Pro 2.5, which was released uh, not too long ago, that projection is available for anybody to use. So anybody can make a spillhouse map of ocean data. Wow, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> we are heading straight back to the office and having a bit of a play around. And John, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an absolutely amazing uh, conversation. It feels like we've been old friends for ages. We have learned so much about the history of cartographic principles and how they apply to today's modern GIS world and technology. What's most important is those who have paved the way for us and how they've led the way into what we're going to do in the future. Now, some great points and examples that John has shared with us today and we'll pop up those resources on the GIS Directions podcast.com.au website. Thanks again, John. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Happy mapping. Happy mapping. 
The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Ezra Australia. 